Today I'll be preaching from the book of Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, and I'll be reading from verse 1 to verse number 10, Romans chapter 6 and verse number 1. The Bible says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, died no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for your precious word. Thank you for the privilege we have to look into it and to hear from you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in a mighty way in every heart and in every life and that he would save some lost soul, stir the heart of every believer. Give me the words you'll have me to say, cleanse me of sin, empty me of self, fill me with your precious Holy Spirit, that I may preach what thus said the Lord. And we'll be careful to thank you, to praise you, to give you all the honor and glory that's due your holy name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Growing up as a young person in the time period in which I did, and those of you who are like around my age and you would identify with this, that we played a lot more interactive games than are played today. And when I say that, I mean board games like Ludo and Snake and Ladders, Draft, Scrabble, card games, pick the pack, and steal the old man bundle. Anybody played that? 21, Romeo, Dominoes, and the list goes on and on. Nowadays, the games are more of the electronic version, and they are less interactive. Young people are engaged in playing against the computer. Or they're playing against persons you can't see. And I found out from my son, they are playing in worlds. Where the objective is to stay alive. And they, believe it or not, play games for years. Without an objective, a clear objective in my mind of winning Games that I heard from my son like Minecraft and 
He's asking me to play with him. I'm asking, when do you win the game? When is the game over? He says, never. You just stay alive. I'm like, what? Such is the nature of the games that these young people play today. But irrespective of the time period in which these games are played, I will submit that the goal is still to win. The goal is to have success. But with any game that you play, there is no guarantee that success will be the result. There is always a chance, however small, that you can lose. Even the best players in any game, they do lose at some point. But let me submit to all of us here today that there is a, another contest that is taking place where you and I can actually, ahead of time, determine our success. And this contest, my friend, is spiritual warfare. We have been examining this topic for some time now when we hopefully have all come to the conclusion that this battle, this contest, this war, if you will, my friend, it is raging. This war has major impact on our lives. Every problem known to mankind is linked to this spiritual war. It has produced the calamity of sin. It has resulted in us, well, us having to choose sides. Sides exist as a result of this war. This war has led to suffering. But I'm so glad that I can say here this morning that God, through his divine intervention, has sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to provide a solution for this war. And in doing so, the God of the universe has given every single person a choice. A choice to make. A choice to determine what side you're going to be on. My friend, there are only two sides. There's the side of the God of heaven and there's the side of Satan. There's no in-between. There is no middle ground. You and I must determine our side. We saw last week that we also must determine our strategy. You see, my friend, there are some things that we must do for ourselves to avoid being casualties in this war. We saw in Ephesians chapter 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places and we saw in that same chapter that we must by way of our strategy put on the whole armor of God. God has given us a strategy that we can employ and in order to be successful in this war. But this morning I want us to notice so very importantly, and this is such good news, that my friend, God, in his divine wisdom, has seen it fit to give us a choice, a choice to determine our side, our choice to determine our strategy. But understand that we also have a choice to determine our success. We have the ability to determine not only if we're going to be successful, but how successful we're going to be. That's amazing. 
And so I want us to examine here in chapter 6 some foundational principles that we must first examine in this chapter as to how is it that in such an impactful war that God has seen it fit to give us the ability to determine whether we're going to win or whether we're going to lose. How successful we're going to be. My friend, it's not a matter of luck and chance. God has seen it and given us the ability to determine how successful we're going to be. Now, in order for us to understand the amazing reality that we can have such a level of control, we must first understand some principles and some doctrinal principles here in this chapter. I want you to bear with me and I want you to really come to grips with this here today. Now, first of all, I want you to understand the signature event, the signature act that took place that we must understand in order to come to grips with the reality that we have such a level of control to determine our success is the fact that God in his wisdom sent Jesus to provide redemption. The redemption from the Savior. I want you to jot that down. The redemption by the Savior. We're going to see this in verses 1 to 10 and we're going to observe first of all the significance of his death. The significance of the death of Jesus Christ. Now, this morning, I'm going to illustrate this for us. But we have some helpers that I have employed. And they seem to be struggling to open a door that is not opening. But I'm going to have them come in here. And I want you to understand, first of all, some things this morning. Now, don't get too distracted by their appearance. I'm going to tell you who they are and what they're all about in just a few minutes. But I want you to understand the significance of the death of Christ. The significance of him being on that rugged cross that we heard about in the song. Now, in order for you to understand the significance of Jesus' death, You have to understand, first of all, life for the sinner without Christ. Life for the sinner without Christ. Now, I have two individuals here, and they represent, first of all, the person without Christ. This is a person who is lost, a sinner. By the way, we are all born as sinners. Sinner without Christ. This young man here is just for illustration purposes. He represents sin. See why I chose my son? If I chose somebody else, I say, why he chose my son to be sin? Anyway, I digress. So he represents sin. Now understand, for the person without Christ, there's an alliance that is established by birth 
between the person born to a woman and sin. There's an alliance. They have a relationship. Like it or not, when you were born into this world, you had a relationship with sin. Come to the middle where they can see you. Right? There's a relationship. There's an alliance between them. It is established. It is predetermined. By the way, this alliance is not a helpful one for the person without Christ. You know why? Because sin is his master. You understanding? Sin is a master. And this young man is the servant to sin. Understand, my friend, that sin is in control in this relationship. There's an alliance. Now, I want you to see this in the Word of God. In, in Romans chapter 7, turn your Bibles one page over. And look at verse 18 where the Apostle Paul says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but what? Sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into what? Captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Paul is lamenting the fact that here we are, we are in bondage to this master called sin. My friend, there's an alliance. You don't have to go and establish it. It is pre-established. We were born in sin and in iniquity. So understand, life of the sinner without Christ, there's an alliance with sin. But notice as well that as part of this alliance, the person without Christ is bound by sin. In bondage, there's a a restriction. They are held. They can try to get away, but it's not possible. You see, my friend, notice that sin has this person bound by a chain. The person without Christ wants to go in a particular direction, but he can't because he's in bondage to sin. It's a burden. It's a limitation. It's not one that he can free himself on on his own because he is bound. My friend, you and I, when we were born into this world, were born already in bondage. Sin is not going to cut you loose. Sin is not going to let you go. It is bondage. It is chains. It is a restriction. Sin is limiting. Even when you want to do right, you still find yourself doing wrong. It's because sin has you bound. It's a burden. Make no mistake about it. Sin is not a nice master. But I want you to notice as well 
because of this bondage, because of this burden of sin, guess who is in control? Sin. Remember, sin, my friend, is a master. Sin calls the shots. When the person without Christ wants to do whatever he wants to do, sin says, no, you're going to do what I say. Sin demonstrate for us this morning. Wherever he tells the person to go, that's what he does. He's in control. For the purpose of this illustration, I don't know why sin has the other person pulling him. (laughs) You're supposed to be in control. You are the master. He's the servant. That's what sin does, my friend. Don't think that you are in control of sin. Sin is in control of you without Christ. Why? Because sin is a master. And as a result of this bondage, understand, my friend, that ultimately the person without Christ is defeated by sin. Sin defeats the servant. Sin is the master. Sin defeats the servant. So understand, my friend, we must recognize that for a person who is without Christ, sin is the the master and the person is the servant. But here's why we must understand this reality. This is what makes the cross so significant, my friend. Because here's what we must understand. When Jesus went to the cross, he did some very important things. Now, I have another person who's going to illustrate. And for the purpose of this demonstration, I got Jesus here this morning. Now, here's one thing I want you to understand. And listen, this is literal. Understand that when Jesus went to the cross, one of the things he did is that he bore our sin. He carried our sin. Now, prior to Jesus' involvement, The person without Christ might have attempted to carry the burden of sin. He did. He attempted to carry it. But he was too heavy. He could not function with the weight of sin. When Jesus went to the cross, he bore our sin on the cross. He actually carried our sin. No, it was not easy. But he bore the weight of your sin and my sin. I want you to see this in the word of God. And I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Notice this in the word of God. Now, when we understand what Jesus did, it gives us a greater appreciation of what he did, my friend. Now, look at Isaiah chapter 53. And look at the language here in verse number 1 of Isaiah chapter 53. It says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? 
For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Look at this. Surely he hath what? Born our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath what laid on him the iniquity of us. All. My friend, the reason why the cross was so significant that when Jesus went to the cross, he literally bore your sin and he bore my sin. Now here's what else Jesus did on the cross that was so significant. He not only carried our sin, but get this, Jesus conquered sin. Jesus defeated sin. Mind you, prior to this relationship, listen, sin was the master. The person without Christ was the servant. Sin was bullying the servant. But the the person without Christ, sin was the big bad bully. Sin was pushing him around. But when Jesus died on the cross, he conquered sin. Sin was defeated. Now, I'm going to give you scripture to see this. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me what? Free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending, get this, his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin did what? Condemned sin in the flesh. Thank God for Jesus. He condemned sin. In other words, he conquered sin. He defeated sin. What you and I could not do, Jesus did it. So when Jesus went to the cross, my friend, it was a big deal. So here's what we must understand now. Recognize what life was for the sinner without Christ. We understand now what Jesus did on the cross. Now what does that mean for life, for the Christian with Christ? Now that that person has Christ, here's what that means. That the person with Christ is now dead to sin. You say, what does that mean? Let me demonstrate once again. Remember, prior to Jesus' involvement on the cross, These two had 
what? A relationship. They had an alliance. As much as it was one that was detrimental to the person without Christ, there was a relationship. This was the servant. This was the master. This person was in bondage to sin, was a slave to sin. But when Jesus conquered sin, guess what? This alliance got severed. So now, when the Bible says that you are dead to sin, it means that sin is trying to control the person with Christ. And as far as this person is concerned, listen, I'm dead to you. You can't control me. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me where to go. Why? I'm dead to you. No effect. You tell me go left, I go right. Whatever you tell me to do, I do the opposite. You know what it simply means? That the relationship is over. You know like when people are in a relationship and they say, you know, we done? As far as the person with Christ is concerned, sin, we done. Tell him, you're done. I'm done with you. With more conviction, I'm done with you. Yes, that's it. My friend, we ought to be done with sin. I'm done. I had it. You've controlled me long enough. You've pushed me around long enough and I'm done with you. That's what it means. Let me show you in the Bible where it says we are to be dead to sin. I'm through with you. Look at Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Verse number 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Paul says, listen, you forgot, man. We're done. We're done with sin. How are you going to live in it? I thought you, you told them we're done a long time. Are you going back to them? Knowing not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into what? Death. My friend, that's what baptism symbolizes. When a person is baptized, they're symbolizing the fact that when I go down, I'm demonstrating, I'm illustrating, I'm symbolizing that death or sin, I am dead to you. I've died to sin. Well, here's the other thing. Not only is the person with Christ dead to sin, but they have been delivered. They're delivered with those chains. Thank God they're gone. You see, my friend, when we come to Christ, Jesus breaks the chains. He delivers the person from the bondage that they were in. And now these chains are gone. We're delivered from sin. The cross did that. Jesus dying on the cross. That's why he said, it is finished. I've broken the chains. I've released the sinner from bondage. This sin is no longer the master. Why? Because the person with Christ has a new master. The power of the cross. Let me say this. Never 
diminish the significance of the cross. Let me say it again. Never diminish the significance of the cross. I fear that Christians insult Jesus over and over again. The cross is so vital. It is critical. That is why Jesus established the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And he says you are to do it frequently. You are to do it consistently because it was the source of your redemption. It was the source of your liberty. It was a sign of suffering, but it was also a sign of freedom. And sadly, you have Christians who continually have been delivered as a result of the cross. And when the time comes to reflect, to remember, to look back on the significance, intentionally absent themselves from such an ordinance. My friend, that must break the heart of Jesus. The cross is so vital. You know, I understand that it says in the word of God that let a man examine himself so that he eat or drink worthily instead of unworthily. You know what we ought to do because the cross is so significant? That if there's something hindering us from participating in what God wants us to reflect on, we get it right so that we can. Because the ordinance of the Lord's Supper is instituted to keep the church pure. It's not a light matter that there are church members who probably have never ever participated in a Lord's Supper professing to be born again believers. That's a serious matter that people take so lightly and nonchalantly. When the cross is the significant event that changed and transformed the course of our destiny and the suffering that it entailed. It's important to understand the significance of the cross. But I want us to notice here very quickly the significance of the resurrection. Now, Jesus died. He defeated sin. He paid the price. But here's what we must understand. That when Jesus got up from the grave, here's what he did. He proved that what he did on the cross was successful. He proved his success. His work on Calvary's cross had accomplished the job. Now let me help you understand this. Sin and death are in a partnership. You understand? Just like how sin was in an alliance with the person without Christ, but it was broken because of what Jesus did on the cross. Sin and death 
have an established partnership. They're in cahoots. They work together. They are bosom buddies. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is... So they work together. So when sin does his job, remember they said sin, remember James says, sin when it is finished produces what? Death. So they're in partnership. When sin does his job, he calls up death. He says, death, boy, I got another one here for you, you know. Can you handle them for me? Put them in the prison called grave and don't let them go. They work together. That's what they do. So when Jesus died on the cross, he bore the weight of sin. Sin figured, hey, death, I got another one for your hair. His name is Jesus. Can you put him in that prison there you got called grave? I mean, he's worked several times with so many other people. So sin called up death. That figure, I'll handle him for you. I got this one covered. So sin got death to do his thing. But you know what? He forgot that he was dealing with the king of kings and the lord of lords. So after three days, death thought he had everything under control. But then the ground began to shake. And Jesus got up from the grave. And Jesus said to death, Death, you ain't the big man in charge here. I got you. And I conquered death. Death was no match for Jesus. And by virtue of Jesus conquering death, he conquered sin as well. And thank God for Jesus. My friend, that's the significance of the resurrection. Jesus proved his success. Look with me at Rome, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want you to notice this because, listen, the word of God is unified. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 12. Look at what the Bible says. Paul was defending the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, no, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised up not. If so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith in his vain, yet are ye in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished in if if in only this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. In other words, that verse number 20 is saying, listen, because Jesus got up from the grave, he signified his success and he's the first fruits because he got up one of these days, those of us who die in Christ, we also will get up. 
he proved his success and he proved his superiority. He proved that he was God and that he was God alone. He was divine. Look at Romans chapter 6 and verse number 9. It says, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Who else can conquer death? But God himself. Thank God for the resurrection. My friend, that is what makes Christianity exclusive. There is no other name among men under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the only one who conquered death. The only one who could conquer sin. And in closing, what does this mean for the Christian? What what, what does this mean? It means, my friend, that we now can have a relationship with the Lord. You see, prior to what Jesus did, sin separated us. We were in bondage to a different master. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. It means that we now have access to the throne of grace. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14 says, For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having, look at this, abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, to making, so making peace, and that he might do what? reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross having slain the enmity the thing that separated us from God Jesus got it out of the way and said no God can have a relationship with man we can have a relationship with the Lord and also finally we have been raised to new life We have a life that ought to be lived for Christ. We have been given a new nature. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Look back at Romans chapter 6 and see these verses. Verse number 4. I gave you the first part because that referred to the crucifixion, the cross, the death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into his death. That's the being dead to sin. That's the old man dying. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Here's what baptism symbolizes. Water baptism. I've died with Christ. I'm dead to sin. But now I'm raised to new life. Raised to a new life to walk with God. Look at verse number 10. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. All of this sets up 
the amazing reality and the amazing fact that because of what Jesus did on the cross, because he was in the grave three days and he rose again, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We can be successful. We can be victors. It's all about what are we going to determine? And we have not touched that. We're going to touch that next week, God's willing. Because verses 1 to 10 gives us the significance of his death and the significance of his resurrection. And once you know these things, then you function from a position of confidence, knowing that you have already won. And there's some things that you do from your position of victory. And we'll see that in more detail next week. What Paul was saying is that Jesus has already given you the victory, but you're acting like losers. You're acting like sin is still in control. You're acting like sin is still the master. You're acting like you're still in chains. Let me help you to understand Jesus already conquered the sin. What are you doing? You should be done with sin. Why are you over there wrapping up yourself with them in there? Come out of that. Come into this. You and I have the amazing ability to determine not only our side. It's all good to determine your side. Well, we got so many people determine their side and they still look like they're losing. You determine your side. That's good. You determine your strategy. But thank God you can determine your success. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for the resurrection. It is the cornerstone of our salvation. Don't insult Jesus. Don't insult the cross. Don't insult what he did. It is the central event that signifies that we are champions. One thing to be a champion, but you got to act like a champion. Amen? And so let's be the champions that God has made us to be. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, he's the only one who can deliver you from the bondage of sin.